We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We are live. Hello, everybody watching. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in, giving us your Thursday night. Uh, this is a special presentation by the Newcastle United Supporters Trust, uh, joined tonight by Ian Mearns, MP for Gateshead, member of the FSA, member of the Newcastle United Supporters Trust, season ticket holder for the Gallagher end. And I think those are all the, the boxes I wanted to check for Ian this evening. We're also joined by Kev Miles, the um, supermodel chief executive of the FSA. Thank you very much for being here, both of you. And then as representatives from your Newcastle United Supporters Trust Board, we have Linda Bush, Thomas Conkhan, and Michael Mannion, and myself, Charlotte Robson, we will be, I'll be hosting this evening. Um, we're going to talk tonight um, a bit about um, what Ian's been doing in, in Parliament and what Ian and um, Kev have been doing with the all-party parliamentary group for football supporters. Rolls off the tongue, that one. Um, well, I think we a little bit of background is that um, on there was a select committee on Tuesday, and Ian um, Ian had sent a letter to uh, to the Prime Minister last week. Sent another one yesterday off the back of the select committee on Tuesday to really put pressure on for a fan led, um, uh, you know, a fan led review of of, of football um, in the UK. Um, you also, Ian, I believe, raised it in in the Commons today. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so the the idea of the fan led review we've been kicking around for quite some time, but uh, very conveniently, the, the the government party, the Conservatives, put it into their manifesto for the general election last year. So it's a manifesto commitment, um, and. Uh, on the back of what happened at the DCMS Select Committee and the resignation of Greg Clark, um, just because he was frankly bizarre comments in the way in which he conducted himself, um, I, I did raise with the leader of the House this morning at business questions um, the idea of uh, them looking at the fan-led review and him reminding the Prime Minister on our behalf that that, it, that manifesto commitment was outstanding, and asking that they would get on with it. Frankly, so you know we we are we are committed to a, a fan-led review. The government are apparently committed to a fan-led review, but I think what's actually happened in the last few weeks has brought this into focus, and it now looks very very much more important. Uh, you know, the operation big picture, the fact that the governance of football seems to be in a bit of a mess, uh, that the fact that they that English Football League, many clubs are in a dire financial crisis. Um, it, you know, it all needs looking at. The government have got a, a, a commitment to a fan-led review, so we thought it very timely just to sort of press the buttons and remind them of the commitments that they have made towards doing that. Now, how soon they come back and do that, we, we don't know, but we'll keep on pressing and asking them to do so because we do think it's vitally, vitally important. Yeah, and I think I think you know most of the viewers um, this evening, and most of us here do agree with you absolutely. There, um, just to track back a little bit, I wonder if you and Kev could give us a bit um, 
a bit of background, a bit of um, a bit of information about the All Party Parliamentary Group for Football Supporters. What kind of work? Um, what, what kind of work are you doing there? Kev, what about you? Well, isn't that weird that you asked me to talk a bit about parliamentarians? Um, <laughs> well, I think it's good because you know you work with us directly, and you know, so you can give a sort of you know what yeah, from an outsider looking in, working with us in Parliament. Absolutely. Well, it, it, we've learned from experience as a national football supporters organisation that there are some basic lessons of how you get achievements and progress for football supporters. One is you get organised. The second one is there's a lot of issues you can't tackle on a club, single club basis that it involves getting together with bands from other clubs because you're dealing with one governing body. You're dealing with the leagues are organised on a national as well as on a regional basis. You have to reach out beyond your own club and form alliances. And then the other lesson that we've learned is that the legislation, the laws of the land have a big impact on football fans, whether it's on outlawing standing in stadiums or outlawing alcohol on buses going to football matches or whatever. So there's all sorts of issues that inevitably bring football fans into the realm of politics, whether you like it or not. Now, the FSA is not a party political organisation. We don't sign up to any one political party. But we do know that there's a lot of issues that parliamentarians make decisions about that impact on football fans. And it's a bit disconcerting sometimes when you see and hear MPs talking about football fans as though we're a sort of alien breed and they don't really understand what we're all about. And yet we know that there are a lot of MPs uh, who are genuine football fans as well. And we what we wanted to try and do is to get an organised voice for the interests of football fans into Parliament. And one of the ways that you can do that is you can set up an all-party parliamentary group to look after the interests of anybody. And I think, I mean, Ian will probably be able to quote better than me, some of the more obscure groups that there are for pretty minority interest groups. Football fans is a pretty big chunk of us, though. I mean, we've got over half a million members nationally. So what we did, we did was we approached uh, Ian. Most of the major political decisions regarding football and football fans are made in the bar at the Irish Club uh, in Newcastle, <laughs> which is um, where we came up with the idea of initiating uh, an all-party parliamentary group for football supporters. There was already and is already uh, a, an all-party parliamentary group for football but that tended to be, uh, I mean, a lot of very decent MPs in there was a very, you know, very principled people. But it tended to be more focused on promoting the game and looking after the interests of the football authorities. And we wanted to have one that was distinctly looking after the interests of match-going football fans in particular. And that's why we did it. And Ian is so immensely popular uh, among his <laughs> colleagues that he gets elected to committees left, right and centre but he was almost by unanimous acclaim became the chair I think because he was the one that started it uh, <laughs> of that group but we have sort of built support uh, across all the parties, all the major political parties in both the parliamentarians, the House of Commons and in the House of Lords as well so it's basically it's a a discussion forum it's, an, it's a forum whereby we can inform MPs about what the issues are, give them the arguments and the case for football fans. They can have some discussion. We can introduce other speakers to go and educate. So one of the recent ones we had was Keenan Maguire, who does the, you know, as an expert on football finance. He talked to the MPs about the impact of the project big picture. And it gives us an opportunity to get issues raised in Parliament and make sure that MPs are, are well briefed on it. And the, the FSA are pleased to be able to act as the the secretariat in the background, so we do all the hard work. Yeah, and, and I, I, you know, I, I, everything that, that Kevin said, but I, I mean, I was a member of the all-party group for football, uh, chaired by my colleague Clive Betts, one of the Sheffield MPs, but it became very clear to me, as Kev's, Kev's outlined there, that it was really looking at uh, the clubs, you know, the FA, the, the leagues, and, and getting presentations from them, but fans were never mentioned and I, and, I, and I sort of spoke to Kev on a number of occasions and we decided to take it forward. And I, I was very glad when, 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 when Kevin and, and the Football Supporters Federation, as was, um, uh, decided to, to, to come, come on board and be, act as the secretariat. And that legitimises the whole, the whole thing. It, it is a strange body. That they're called all-party parliamentary groups. So, therefore, they have to be registered with the parliamentary authorities and also that we can hold meetings 
um, in, in, in the Palace of Westminster and, and get people along, invite speakers. Um, but I mean, it's, it's interesting because there's probably, I think, about 800 all-party parliamentary groups of one way, shape or form. And I, and I chair about half a dozen of them. You know, I've, I've set a one up for rail in the north, for housing in the north. Uh, I, I do a one for uh, foster carers. I do a one for parent-teachers associations. So there's a whole range of stuff you can do. You know, if, if there's a country or an insect that's probably got an all-party parliamentary group for it, you know. So, uh, so but, but you know, the football supporters one, I think, is, is becoming very popular. And I really would like to think that we're becoming quite influential as well. Um, excellent. Well, that's that's really concise, really brilliant um, uh, sort of summary of what, what you guys are doing and why uh, you're doing it. Michael, I think you wanted yeah, to jump in. I, I was just going to ask about the scope of the the review. Um, fans, their review is a very, a very broad topic. So I'm interested in um, what would be involved. So um, I'm, I'm assuming it's not just the, the top of the game, the, the, the Premier League and the and the football league, but also the lower leagues, and um, is, is the women's game going to be involved? So, if you can just, if if you have any idea about what the scope of the um, of the review is going to be, yeah. Well, and just for the benefit of those listening to the audio, um, I have popped a question on the screen, which I think is quite similar to what Michael's asking there. Just um, what would it look like? What a, what would a fan led review look like? And then, um, and I think that's a good opportunity as well, Thomas and Linda, if we talked about. Um, what you'd want it to look like as well. But Ian, we'll come to you first. Yeah, well, you know, let, let's not forget, you know, I, 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 as I mentioned earlier on, there is a, a couple of lines in the government's um, Conservative Party manifesto from, from the election last year saying that they would conduct a fan-led review uh, on, on the governance of football. And, 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 and therefore, uh, that's as far as it goes, there wasn't much of an of explanatory note. We know we've been campaigning for this for quite some time. So it's very welcome to see it as part of that of that manifesto. But really, frankly, what we've got to do now is lobby like hell so that the, the scoping of the, the fan-led review is broad enough to cover everything that we think is is important. I mean, you know, it's there all to play for. I mean... It all, I think it really all, all does depend how serious the government are about this commitment that they've made in, in, in their own manifesto and what a fan-led review would look like. Because, you know, um, the, the, they do have a bit of a track record of picking someone who looks nice, cuddly and friendly, who claims to be a football support and getting them to lead it. You know, and I think what we've got generally got to do is get people who know about the game and know about the interest of supporters and fans um, to, to actually lead on this review so that can genuinely be a, a fan-led review. But the scoping of it is there to play for. Oh, gosh, sorry. I keep muting myself to try and make sure that I'm not uh, I'm not going to butt in and then I don't, um, not, I'm not able to be heard. Sorry about that. Um, so, so Thomas, um, I know that you and Kev um, know each other. You work with the FSA, and, and we do as a trust. Um, what What would you want a fan led review to look like? What What would it What would What form would it take for you? I think touching on what Ian said there, that it's um, it's obviously it has to cover almost everything. Um, the, the things that matter to fans the most, um, you know, in terms of not just governance, but um, the match day experience and and one thing that that kind of stands out to me was the and Kev will be able to say more on this was the the sustain the game campaign that the FSA announced recently. Um, it had five five key points to it really um, about protecting my clubs, transparency, you know, financial controls, strengthening the pyramid, and and support or engagement. So I think that's a pretty good basis to go off and and, and I was curious if, if Kev thought that that was that was a good a good basis to use as well um going into the review and and, and if there was anything else on top of that, that that they would look at really I think you're muted Kev you've done you've done what I like to and you muted yourself anything so. you can do I can do just, <laughs> just as well um, just maybe give a little bit of insight about wh where it came from, because to be honest, before the Conservative Party manifesto, 
I'd never seen the expression fan-led review uh, anywhere ever before. It's a new concept, and none of us, I think, can say, oh, one of them fan-led reviews, because yeah. there's never been one before. And maybe if I said a little bit about the provenance of where it came from, it gives you a little bit of an insight into the murky world of politics, but um, it also might put it a little bit of context a bit. If you remember, back in last October, I think it was the end of September, beginning of October, we got the announcement about the going to administration of Berry FC, and there was a big, you know, obviously big headline grabbing news because there was seen to be a club going out of existence. One of the ninety-two in the uh, in the pyramid on the, the professional game pyramid at that level, um, going out of existence, which obviously has a devastating effect on any community losing their own club, and it brought to the surface what is clearly a big problem about the sustainability of football clubs and how they're governing governed and how they're, how they're run. And I got a, a text message at quarter past six in the morning from a member of parliament, a former minister of sport, say, who just said, Kev, if I was still minister of sport now, what would you want me to be saying about Bury? And I resisted the temptation to text back, nothing at quarter past six in the morning, thanks very much. But, And I went back with half a dozen different bullet points of, of points that we thought were pertinent around the governance of football, about the owners and directors test, about regulations, about people's asset stripping of football clubs, all the basic things that you would think you know, should, should not be allowed to happen in an industry which is as important to communities as football is to local towns. And I got a response back saying, I agree with all of that. Um, we should talk further about this sort of stuff. So I said, we at the time, the FSA had a paper about the financial regulation of football, about the governance of football, in which we argued that football could not be relied upon to regulate itself. That where they've got the rules for regulating football are determined and voted on by the owners of the same football clubs who are supposed to be being regulated. They cannot be relied to impose exacting standards of uh, governance on themselves. So we've been arguing for regulation, independent regulation, independent of the vested interests of the club owners. And we had quite a detailed paper about what that could look like. And I said to this uh, politician, I'll send you our paper. I sent the paper up by email. An hour later, I got a reply back saying, this is excellent. This is really good. We should talk about this any further. So I had a, com a further conversation in which he said, look, we, we think this is exactly what is needed in football. Uh, it's it's detailed. It's got all the details. In fact, what we want to do is to produce a report, a government report, which requires this to happen. Uh, now, bear in mind, this is last October. Uh, we said, leave it with us. We're, we're going to do something about this. I then got a phone call from the same politician saying, do you mind if I give Boris Johnson your phone number? Um, now, I, I wasn't widely keen on that, to be honest, but it had to be done, right, for, uh, from a work point of view. Uh, he said, and the reason being behind, the, the number 10, the government, want to do something in this space. Now, if you remember at the time, there was hell on about Bury. It was a massive, you know, big topic, and all the politicians were asked questions and all this, this sort of thing. Um, and so they clearly wanted to do something. And basically what I was told was what they wanted to do was to announce that this was going to become government policy and they want to do something in the, in this area. Would I be prepared to launch it with Boris? So again, you know, the things I do for this job, uh, all right, if it makes progress, we'll get it done. And then it went quiet. And if you remember the other thing that was going on at the time, uh, it, this is way back pre-COVID, but you might remember something that was in the papers, well, Brexit. Well, Brexit was all the rage at the time. And suddenly they went into a de declared a general election. Now, during a general election campaign, you can't have any of these announcements can take place, right? There's a thing called election perda, where it's all suspended while everybody gets their election campaign underway. So it went quiet, except that the Tory manifesto said it was going to have it, a fan, they were going to have a fan-led review. Now it wasn't even in the section of the manifesto about sport. It was in the section called towns and communities. And it was all linked to that. Uh, and but there was there it was clear as day they would reintroduce standing into foot into top level football, and they would they would inaugurate a fan led review. Now what I was told then was your paper 
will probably be at the backbone of the outcome of this review, but we'll have to have a process in order to come to those conclusions. We, we need to get other people's opinions. You know, we're not, we've never claimed that we've got all the answers, but we think we've got a good a good starting point. And they said that that's what we're doing. And it would, to be honest, it was it would have had far-reaching consequences, that pay, our paper, but it was fairly narrowly focused on the finances and how clubs were run and how clubs were regulated. What's happened since then with the Project Big Picture, uh, I think, has meant that inevitably any review is going to have to be a lot broader than that now. So there's never been a decision taken that it was going to have a narrow view. There's never been a decision taken that it's going to have a broad view. The terms of reference still haven't been scoped out. But I don't think there's any question that what's happened in the last two or three weeks has meant that any review that tries to take a narrow little focus is going to be regarded as not really cutting the mustard. It's going to have to look at, I think, the entire way, not only the, government is, the, the football clubs are regulated and their finances are monitored, but the whole way that the game is governed, the decision-making processes, how the competitions are organised, what how decisions are taken within those structures. And there's all sorts of questions coming up that, but there seems to be increasingly now a bit of a consensus development around the idea that there should be statutory independent regulation of football, which means effectively there's going to be an independent regulator and everything that has gone on has more, drawn more and more people to draw the conclusion football cannot be relied upon to do this itself. It won't do it willingly, and the only way you can make them do it is through legislation. It's through a statutory uh, introduction of a, of a uh, regulator with powers given by parliament to force things onto football if they won't do it themselves. And I think that's increasingly where we're going. Just after Project Big Picture was announced, that broke on a Sunday, on the following Thursday, there was this announcement of this group called themselves the Save the Beautiful Game. And what was interesting about that was you had two, a former chairman and a former chief executive of the FA, together with uh, Andy Burnham, who'd been your know, former minister in that department, um, various other people and the, the interesting thing was they all said it's got to be statutory independent regulation i've even heard premier league officials have said to me we now believe that you need statutory independent regulation because the top six clubs are out of control in terms of their power graph now they've backed off from that a little bit surprise surprise but i think there's still a lot of momentum in the parliamentary front to say right football's had its chance to sort its own house out we'll have to do it for them yeah, very well said. I can't really um, can't really disagree with that. I think it has to be a really broad scope. It has to include fan groups like um, the FSA and then individual trusts as well. Um, we did have a really interesting question, which I think also plays into some of Linda's interests as well. Um, Greg sent this one in. Greg is also a board member. It's such a big question that it's covering up few of your faces, I do apologise. Um, it actually didn't come from Greg directly, it's come from someone who can't make it tonight, but he wants to know, um, following the resignation of Greg Clark with the game being run at, at the FA and Premier League by predominantly white straight men, how does football progress from token gesture campaigns to real change so that those who play, coach and watch the game have fair represent, representation at board level? So that's including all the grassroots stuff. That's including all the kids stuff. That's including girls football and, and, and men's football. Like, How do you even begin to have that change? And Linda, I wondered if you had any, any thoughts on that one as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to echo um, what Kevin said around the um, inspection and regulation. Um, but I think in the meantime, I mean, that's a huge, big aim for us to all push towards. Uh, I think in the meantime, um, we, you can look at certain organisations and certain campaigns uh, where you can work together and make a real difference. But y what you have to do is you, you have to have... Um, you have to have allies of the people who are in power. So, you know, I'm looking at I'm looking at the people now and, you know, the questions come in about um, about white men. And I've seen some reports since Greg Clark about um, male pale and something else that rhymes with that. Um, and I think we have to be careful here to not just um, put everybody in the same 
position and assume that actually the game's not absolutely 100% full of loads of male allies who are supporting all aspects um, of football where it needs to grow. Uh, and I think um, I think just just to point out, you know, t- two of us have just been voted by. I think we've got something like 13,000 members um, at last count, and it fluctuates um, because of the background information that we're still sometimes working on on the website, etc. But I think at the moment we've got about 13,000 members, and we just held a we just held a, um, a, 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 a an election. And yourself and I, Charlotte, uh, um, I I have to use the word landslide because it was used to me by somebody else. No disrespect to anybody else who also got voted in. But you and I, we we got the majority of the vote, hugely. I think you got something like 57% of the vote. Um, I'm fairly sure, and we could, I don't know if Chris is is watching this and he could maybe look up the figures or something, but I'm fairly sure that our membership is 85%, 90% male. Um, And so I think... I think we're actually moving uh, forward with a lot of issues and I think people have to give credit to people like Kevin Miles, to Ian Mearns, to Thomas, you know, to people like Alex Hurst, you know, people and our membership, um, you know, we've moved on from uh, stereotyping people and that includes white males as well, you know, this, this is... This is about passion and football. And I think you put a group of people in a room um, and, you know, you kind of like you you give them all the diverse, you know, all the diversity that you could possibly get. And you throw in a football conversation and it just is just such an equaliser. And I think this is one of the things I feel so, so passionate about. Um, I've had a couple of people contact me and say, you know, where are you going with this, Linda? You know, NUST members, you know, football is a business um, we've got to accept that uh, Mike Ashley is a businessman. Um, we've got to accept that um, this position of ownership, we've got to accept it as football fans. We should be pleased we're not Leeds. We should be uh, not Leeds, uh, Leeds as was maybe when they very nearly went into um, when they went into free fall. We should be pleased we're not Sunderland, I should should have said. But I was thinking way back in the... Um, you know, in the, in the day, days of David O'Leary and when the, when they almost you know, won, the, won the Champions League and then went spiral and down leagues. I think for me, I think um, there's just something very special about football. There's something very special and passionate that touches, you know, very young children right through to um, very old people, all, all walks of life. And I just feel... Uh, there's a real mo- a strong movement out there. And, I, you know, I, I've seen a few comments um, about wh- when are we going to pick up this issue and that issue as a, as a trust. We we pick up all sorts of issues. And there's an awful lot of our membership, I think, have come from grassroots. Um, I think that there's a grassroots movement that goes on day in, day out. You can't drive down your street and through your communities without seeing field upon field upon field of people playing football. Now, that starts now. For boys, it's always started five, six-year-old. And now it's starting to start with girls, seven and eight-year-old. And the knock-on effect is the grandparents, the families. And it it runs right through people's... um, people's dna it's almost like you know everybody's has people have weekends people have monday to friday and people have football you know i know i know sometimes it's been it's tried to be destroyed and you know three o'clock on a saturday doesn't exist for a lot of people anymore but i i honestly think that there are families throughout our community uh, through all communities who are touched by football and then th- the power of football um then then takes like almost like i'm not suggesting it's um i know kevin keegan called it a religion and and, and different people have said it was like theater up in the northeast but i really truly believe that people's lives revolve around it i've had, i'm a grassroots coach i've had parents almost in tears about the the four-week lockdown because we've had to stop playing football at a grassroots level um there's been a lot of there's been a lot of a lot said about you know fans not being to go into uh, being able to go and watch football and there's been a lot said about you know mental health and black lives matter and and, and that there's so much now with football and and as a supporters trust we often get called out because why aren't we supporting this and why aren't we supporting that? And I think that's because football just transcends everything. It just goes through everything. You know, so people are saying, why aren't us standing up against this? Why aren't us standing up against that? It's almost like it's the power of football to change, to change society and the power to do good. And that's why I'm 100% behind um, what Kevin's talking about. And I think, 
if nothing else, we, we do need to band together as football supporters and maybe put our divisions aside. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's well documented, the frustrations of Newcastle fans, and I'm absolutely a Newcastle fan. But we have to push for this football-led review because this is about our culture. This is about the culture of, of the UK, of Britain. Um, and I think it's absolutely uh, vitally important that if there is a football-led review, that it covers every aspect of football and not just the money, a massive wide focus. We've got to work together to get behind the likes of Kevin and Ian to make sure it happens in the way that we did around um, lobbying people about transparency, about the Premier League's decision, about the the um, ownership of our club. So that, you know... I, no, no, I'm just saying I've said enough. I say, you know, I'll shut up now. <laughs> Passion, I'm passionate. Absolutely, and your passion really comes across, and it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to see. So, thank you very much. Um, I was gonna, I, I think that leads really nicely into sort of um, talking about the power, the, harnessing the power of fans, and harnessing this is so important when you're talking about. I mean, what Kev was saying and what Ian was saying about how how big the scope of this has to be, and what Linda's saying there is that it can't just be about the money; it has to be, it has to be about everything. And and so and so it, it's it's a no brainer to me that that the fans would would you know have to be consulted. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the power of the fans in. In, in a real tangible example with Thomas, because like Linda said in the summer, that it was it was the fans and it was the it was the trust membership that was able to get you know an audience with Richard Masters where where um, you know journalists had not been able to do that um, in that in that in that space. So um, Thomas, I just wondered if you would talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely right. It was the it was the power of the, the fans that, that, that led to that meeting um, through the help of obviously the FSA and, and their regular structured dialogue that they have with the Premier League. Um, it was because of that that we were able to get that meeting. And I think that, that goes to show that I think the respect is there for football fans across um, across the game. But it, it obviously, I think it's it's outweighed by the, the power and the money that is currently at the top of the game, especially in the Premier League. And that filters down through the pyramid. Um, it, 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 so, so going back to what you said, obviously in terms of the power of the fans, it's it's there, and and it, and it can be it can be used for greater things like the fan led review. Um, it can be pushed on, you know, the the fans can can unite together behind the FSA, behind the the old party parliamentary group. You're right, that rolls off the tongue, um, and and just yeah, unite behind that and and push forward for for a better game like Linda touched on you know it, it's part of our community it's part of our lives and uh and it means way more to us than what it does to the the powers that be currently that that occupy the positions that matter in football absolutely and um and then Ian I saw you shaking your head when Linda said that um that football isn't a, isn't just a business I know that uh, that's obviously something close to your heart. Um, I sort of wanted to loop that into the next question, which Thomas, which is one of the ones that Thomas has prepped for us, which is um, the project big picture, which a lot of people here have alluded to or talked about a little bit, um, has added a lot of pressure to get a fan-led review moving because that sort of, I mean, I think, you know, this has been the project big picture in whatever incarnation that it's taken over the last 10, 15 years has been whispered about or talked about, but it kind of dropped into into the news like everyone was a bit like, hang on, what is going on here? And it did become this sort of, I think it was you, Kev, that said that the top six are out of control. Um, do you... Um, I, <laughs> I'm going to say APPG for football supporters. You on that on that body have um, have any indication of how long it's going to take to get this started? If if, if indeed it is going to get started, what the review? Yep, yep. Sorry. Well, well, well you know that that's why we're writing to the prime minister. You know, just to, just to remind them that that, that you know that that, that that there are hairs running, and if the potential for a fan-led review is going to be meaningful it has to be done before another operation big picture or a european super league takes off you know those hairs are running you know th those ideas aren't going going to go away and i think the points that linda what we're making about you know the ownership of clubs 
the owners own the physical assets, they own the contracts with the players, but what they don't own is the culture, the history, the heritage, the collective will, the passion, you know, the energy, the tears, the, the smiles, the laughs, the comradeship and the personal ownership that fans put into their own clubs and have done so for decades. And 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 and, and therefore, from, from that perspective, it, it really does, from my perspective, uh, kind of really, um, it's grating to, to think that, the likes of Manchester United and Liverpool, because of their American owners talking to each other in the United States, should be the leading two clubs behind Operation Big Picture and totally disregarding that history of those clubs. I mean, can you imagine 30 years ago, Liverpool and Man United agreeing to do anything together? I, I don't think that would have been possible. They were absolutely and utterly bitter rivals and will continue to be so. And yet there's this cosy relationship between these club owners trying to do something from a totally business-style, selfish perspective. And what this is about, and, and I'm afraid to say that I've used this comment about Mike Ashley in his 13 years tenure at, at, at Newcastle United, what they regard the fans are as, as an asset to be sweated. It's it's it, in in pure business terms, you know, they are a generator of revenue, and anything that they do in terms of providing some atmosphere in the ground, and you know, maybe he's given a, a little bit of ver verbal support to the players on the pitch, but that's kind of incidental. That's going to happen anyway. They take us for granted as 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 football fans, and I think it's re re it is really quite interesting. I'm, you know, we've we've started trying to put pressure on the government because either the government and the the fact that they had this couple of lines in their manifesto, but at the same time, by the way, the Labour manifesto for last uh, year's general election and it may it may be meaningless now because they didn't win the election, we didn't win the election, but the Labour manifesto said. Labour will examine the state of the football game, its governance and regulation, its ownership rules and the support and funding of the clubs that are vital to communities, review the fit and proper person test for club owners and directors, legislate for accredited football supporters trusts to be able to appoint and remove at least two club directors and purchase shares when, uh, when clubs change hands, and regulate safe standing in, sta in stadiums, ensure that a proportion of Premier League's television rights income is spent on grassroots football facilities. So, you know, the major political parties have started to get it, that there's an issue happening here. And, you know, we've only got to look at the history of the game in, in this country in the last 10, 15, 20 years, where clubs like Blackpool, Wigan, Bury, Coventry, Wimbledon. Remember Wimbledon when they, when they were at Wimbledon and moved to MK Dons and were moved like an American club franchise in the NFL? Then we've seen, you've mentioned Leeds. I remember the, the gates of Ayrson Park being padlocked at Middlesbrough. You know, Man United under the Glazers. And of course, Newcastle under Mike Ashley. And there are so many more examples of bad governance, of uh, bad uh, faith, with with the game and with the supporters, you know the, the way in which supporters literally have been taken for granted, and you know it, it's kind of it's it's the way the free enterprise market works at its worst, you, you know when 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 it acts like that, and and therefore I think it's really quite interesting. We've got to kind of seize the moment, as it were, where the major parties are actually thinking along the same lines in terms of protecting the um, assets in terms of the community assets, which, which is really sort of in the ownership of football supporters. Um, you know, I, I don't want to get too uh, emotional about it, but, you, you know, um, I was saying to some, some friends of mine, uh, my mates give me a, a Newcastle United shirt for my 50th birthday and on, on the back it was one of the ones with a shield on and it, it, I, I put 50 false stones on the back, you know. The trouble is that shirt's 13 years old now. You know, you know, so it's not 50 full stones, it's 63 full stones. You know, I've been a Newcastle United supporter all my life. I was very lucky to actually get to see the home leg of the First Cup final in 1969. You know, but the fact that, you know, in my lifetime, 63 years, we haven't actually won a domestic trophy. 
and yet we've got a ground that holds 52,000. And, you know, even when the, the tune's not playing very well, we fill it most weeks. There's not there's no other club in the world like that that hasn't won a domestic trophy in the lifetime of somebody my age and still gets 50,000 supporters when we're allowed to go every week. And that's why we're passionate about it. We care. And really, from that perspective, it's important that these hairs are pulled back from running away Operation Big Picture European Super League so that fans have actually got a real chance to have a foothold in the destiny of their own clubs and to prevent those assets being stripped away from them. I mean, one thing that I, I was just thinking about the other day as well, Kev, I mean, um, in, in 2011, I actually sat through six weeks of a piece of legislation at committee stage called the Localism Bill. Now, the localism bill allows local communities to declare buildings in their area as assets of community value. We should be encouraging football fans up and down the country, every community that has a football club, to get their local authority to declare their club's ground as an asset of community value. And that would prevent the owners from selling them for at least five years. And, and I think it's something that we should just do as a sort of a, a matter of course. It's something which is being enabled by legislation. So let's actually have a look at that and see what we can do, because there's no doubt about it. One of the biggest interests for, for um, entrepreneurs, shall we call them, when it comes to buying football clubs, is the ground that they stand on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think you know, you mentioned the Project Big Picture there, and then you mentioned the European Super League. I know Michael was interested in the impact that we can really have on that. Michael, do you want to... Jump in. Yeah, um, the prospect of a European Super League really worries me. And I'm just curious to know whether um, government legislation could actually prevent it from happening. Uh, I don't know if you know that, Ian, uh, and, but also from, a, from an FA point of view, is there any sort of way that the FA could stop it from happening? So could they do anything like, for example, say to clubs, if you join the European Super League, you're not able to play in our leagues or play in the FA Cup or your players aren't able to play for England. So sort of what other things can, can be put in place to well, try and I mean, stop I, you? Well, I think really to happen. all intents and purposes, the leagues, the Premier League and the AFL are kind of, you know, the, the FA is the overarching body but has really little control about how they conduct their, their internal, uh, internal affairs. And, you know, in terms of the government saying to, to, uh, to, to clubs at the moment, um, you know, if you go and play in a European Super League, we, we would prevent you from playing in your domestic league. I, I don't know how we would manage to do that because that legislation doesn't exist. Those powers uh, don't exist. And that's, you know, all of those things are why I think a fan-led review of the governance of the game is, is, is vitally important because even fans of the big clubs, I think, would be kind of against a European Super League because it makes them almost surplus to requirements. You know, I, I mean, if half your games are going to be played in a European Super League, you know, if you're a really keen football supporter, as we've all been, and is get, getting to as many games as you possibly can, how the hell do you travel to Europe every week? It, it just becomes impossible. And, 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 you know, really keen football supporters want to see as many games as they can live of, the, of their own club that, 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 that they support. Um, it, you know, I, I think it's, I, I think it's no, no surprise, frankly, that, 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 that I'm convinced that the people in the big six, when they when they announced Operation Big Picture, knew that the announcement about the European Super League was in the offing. And it, it looks very clear to me that the, um, the, the setup as proposed by Operation Big Picture was there to facilitate clubs participating in the European Super League. Now, how we, how we legislate against that, I mean, I think that can only be done on a Europe-wide basis. But of course, we're in a situation in this country where we're not, we're not involved anymore in the European legislative framework. That doesn't mean to say we can't be involved at all, but it makes it a bit more difficult, I think. Yes, absolutely. I was uh, muted there again. Um, Thomas, I know you had a sort of follow-on question from that with regards to um, Project Big Picture and, and taking place before this review. Do you want to jump in and yeah, um, basically, it is, is there a concern from you both that, 
that the the powers that be in football can introduce something like a project big picture um, before the review has taken place or is finished. Um, is there a concern there about that? Kev? Well, undoubtedly, that it, it's always a concern, uh, and that's one of the reasons why I think we've got to press for this review um, to go as, as, as soon as possible. Because I think it's clear to everybody that something's going to have to change in football. And unless somebody sensible changes it, somebody greedy will change it, and that will be the driving force behind it. Now, the, the, your t time scales are difficult to work out. Uh, it's sad to say that probably one of the most crucial time scales or the indicators of time scale and all this is the broadcasting deals, because that's the big determining factor in football these days. And that's what lies behind the whole of the pressure for not just Project Big Picture and this incarnation of the European Super League, but the previous incarnations of the European Super League that have come before, the pressure to have more and more expansion of the Champions League, uh, all of these things, there's a, a pressure, in, well, and basically, effectively, what it is, is you've got the, the big elite clubs, not just in this country, but across Europe. If you remember a year and a half, two years ago, there was the talk of the, through the European Clubs Association being driven by Juventus in particular, Agnelli, uh, the president of Juventus, was pushing for a European Super League there. They were talking about they don't want to have promotion and relic, you know, a qualification for that based on how you're doing the domestic league. They want the guaranteed place for them. And the, their basic argument is they've got big international brands, which is how they regard them, that they've built up over years, that's got a massive global audience that can attract loads of, of, of money internationally. It's all about the television audience across the global television audience, the income from match-going fans is relatively insignificant to them. And, what, and they just cannot get their heads around some of the ideas of what seemed to us the obvious ways of organising a league and how you, you, you make football. They're businessmen, and they think they want to have as much of the wealth and power accumulating to them as they can possibly get. And things that we regard as the absolute you know, bog standard basics of how you organise a league, like one club, one vote, how can that be right, they would argue, this is what the Liverpool owners have been arguing, how can it be right that Burnley, little Burnley, have as much influence in the Premier League as global superpower Liverpool with the, with the audience that they attract? And they basically said they would like to have a league where they each sell their own rights, they don't sell them collectively, They'll sell their own streaming rights on an international basis and they pull all the money. And more and more money gets concentrated at the top and it will kill the game. And it kills the game because it, the domestic leagues will be absolutely destroyed. Already, if you look at the Premier League now, you've got effectively half a dozen of those big clubs are the only people that are likely to win the league. Leicester, winning it three, was it three years ago, four years ago now? Me. That was the exception that proved the rule. And ironically, that was the trigger to Agnelli pushing at that stage for the European Super League. Because Agnelli said in the discussions then, he said, Leicester City are an abomination. How can it be right that a little club like Leicester is dining at the table of the European Champions League when we have invested in our brand for a quarter of a century and they come from nowhere, win the league, and all of a sudden they're in the Champions, they're in the Champions League? It can't be right. And they cannot get their heads around that the idea that you can have that sort of um, usurp as you know these upstarts coming and do, winning something on the base of their sporting performance alone. But the likelihood of a Leicester happening again recedes every year because yeah. the gap in money between the top, the big six, and the rest of the league gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And the biggest destabilizing factor in that is the European money already, as the Champions League. If you look at how the Premier League divides its money, there's a lot of money in the, in the Premier League. We've, there's more money in football than ever before, and we've always argued that the Premier League should be cascading a lot more of that down through the pyramid and into the grassroots, all the way down. But if you actually look at the, at the in the Premier League, some of the Premier League's broadcast money, the first big chunk of it, is actually divided straight into 5% packets. In other words, every club gets the same amount for the first chunk. They then get a bit where you get a bit more depending on how where you finish. So you get the, the club at the top gets 20 times as much as the club at the bottom for the next chunk. But there is an, there's a certain amount of equality and equi 
equitability between how the Premier League shares its money out so that you never get that much massive distortion. And the Premier League negotiates the television rights collectively. So they get the, they sell the whole league for the whole season. The league gets the money in, and then the league then shares it out with the clubs on that basis. But that means if it was left to that alone, you could have a fairly competitive league. But if you look at the difference that happens then when the European money comes in, two years ago, um, Liverpool uh, got the final of the Champions League and West Brom were relegated. Um, the difference in the income uh, between those two clubs, it, what they got from the Premier League, from the very top and the, to the bottom of the league, the, in the, in the, Premier, the lifting they got in the Premier League was less than the amount that Liverpool got from the European Adventure alone. So, in other words, the diff what Liverpool got, one club got, is bigger than the differential from top to bottom. Now, if you keep giving that sort of reward money to the big six companies, the Premier League will... The, it, it's like killing the goose that lays the golden egg because they will end up with an uncompetitive tournament that nobody wants to watch anymore, and then they won't get the broadcast rights from it. And that's why the big six are starting to say, we want to compete on a European level because imagine the money we can get if we're selling the rights to Liverpool against Juventus and then Liverpool against Real Madrid instead of having to play a bloody West Brom or, or Burnley or somebody dreadful like Newcastle. Uh, imagine what the, you know, and, and that pressure of those billionaire owners of big football clubs, which they see as global economic powers, that pressure to shift the competition, the control and the money in their own direction, that's a constant that is a constant factor in football, and that's why it's not enough just to beat off this latest manifestation of Project Big Picture or this manifestation of the European Super League. There has to be something to control them, and it's quite clear that football is the structures of football are not strong enough, and the will isn't there to regulate that themselves, and that's where it's got to come from somewhere else. Now, it, to, to come back to the question that was asked, it might ask the question before about. How do you stop things happening at the moment? Uh, how, the, there is actually, within the rules of football, the FA can stop a European Super League. It can stop the clubs going, not just by saying, in, in, as long as UEFA run the competition, then the FA in the structures has the right to designate which league will appoint, will the winners of which league or the top clubs of which league will qualify for European competition. So they do have the right to part. I don't know if anybody watched the the select committee here and before um, Greg Clark did his protracted, drawn-out suicide uh, in, in the, towards the end of his composition. But just before that, he was boasting about there are three bodies in the world that could stop this. FIFA, of which I'm the vice president, UEFA, of which I sit on the UEFA board, this is me by the way, this is Greg Clark, uh, <laughs> and and the and the FA, of which I am the chairman, well he's not actually any of them now, um, <laughs> those bodies do have the right to veto over any of those things, but the problem is you can't rely on them. Who runs the, who runs oh. the FA? The FA, in fact, it, it was quite symbolic who took over from Greg Clark as the, as the chair of the, of the FA. It was Peter McCormick, who was the representative of the Premier League, on the FA on the FA board, and the the same money interests that run the Premier League and run the Football League run the FA as well, and that's why even the FA cannot be relied upon. It should be as a governing body that should be the body that regulates football, but it can't. So it's going to have to come through the parliamentary route, and you can legislate for pretty much anything actually, if uh, if you want to, if you take it seriously enough. Parliament's got the powers to impose these things if they need to. Very um sort of depressing really <laughs> very depressing <laughs> but, um, you say you say that and and it leads into something and linda wants to ask you say you can legislate for anything well um i know linda yeah. Has a question that, yeah i do um I'm, I'm i'm really keen to um I mean, I'm keen to hear from from some of the people who are on the chat as well, and I know that there's been some some comments coming in, so we, we are seeing them, guys. So thanks thanks for that. Um, but I, I really feel like because we've got Kevin who really understands football and the politics around it, and because we've got Ian who runs the the parliamentary group, 
I feel like there's an awful lot of pressure um, from supporters that seems to be having a bit of success at the moment, but maybe I'm just kidding myself. And I think when I stood for election this time, I was really um, concerned about um, this this kind of like uh, pressure that you can put on through supporters through the democratic route versus protests. Because um, when I go to the match and I'm shouting and screaming and doing whatever I'm doing, um, I'm, I'm, I'm voicing my opinion. And I think there's a strong opinion out there that um, that supporters want to protest against a lot of these things. And I think one of the things for me, who hopefully will stay on the board for three years, is I kind of want to ha- to give some belief and some um positivity to support us to say it's not the only option and actually as an as an option protesting doesn't always work but but recently you know has the pay-per-view um thing that's you know that looks like it's going to be knocked on the head you know is is that about the fact that people have um you know decided not to to buy it and therefore money money and protest is going to work much quicker than votes in parliament you know so i think i think the question i'd like to pose to kevin and ian is you know should should we be following in a protest route and getting and encouraging supporters to to vote with their feet or should we be politicizing football even more so it becomes something that puts you know makes people put a cross in the box of a certain political party because they definitely want these regulations to 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 almost like i think jonathan lane was saying something in the comment you know he was talking about the wider safeguards of these community assets so you know you know where do you sit on protests and you know, not buying pay-per-view and things like that versus where do you, you know, or, or going down the parliamentary route. What has the greatest power here? Well, I, I think that um, it, let's first and foremost, it, this isn't party political in terms of our party having a monopoly over this. Um, and, and, you know, as, as, I, as I pointed out before, it's in the it was in the government's manifesto. Now, they're in government. So it's right that we're pressing them because they're the ones who've got the levers of power. But, you know, the other parties were in favour of this sort of fan-led review. And, you know, I I think there's there's a lot to protest about. I mean, I I think that the um, pay-per-view exercise... Adventure, if you like, was 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 a, a, an exercise in folly by by the Premier League. I suppose if you know if if, if this this cloud had a silver lining, it's the fact that as a protest against peer purview, two hundred and fifty thousand quid was raised for food banks around the country by fans groups, which is great, you know. I mean, I think Leeds fans group raised thirty eight thousand. I think Newcastle fans group. Uh, raised twenty five thousand in Liverpool and Everton and others have raised some significant amounts of money for for, for food banks. But I, I think at the moment, what I would say is, look, you know, Newcastle supporters, football supporters live all over the country. If you agree with the government's proposal that we're trying to press it, get them to press ahead with, if you agree with that proposal for a fan-led review of the governance of football, write to your local MP so that it isn't just me and a couple of dozen others who are pressing the government, but it becomes many, many MPs from all political parties pressing the government for a fan-led review because it is uh, vitally important. And as Kevin, Kevin said before, you know, if the big clubs get their way, they'll actually not just kill the goose that lays the golden egg, they'll actually kill the sport that we all enjoy, you know, because, you know, having uh, leagues dominated by half a dozen clubs is not a good way to go. I mean, you've only got to look at a lot of the European leagues that exist now and, you know, look at the dominance of certain clubs in those leagues, you know, in, in, in Spain. It's Real Madrid, Barcelona, and then sort of Valencia, Seville, Atletico Madrid. And then you never hear of anybody else particularly very much. You know, the, the, in, in, in the Netherlands, it's PSV, Ajax, Feyenoord. In Germany, it's Bayern and Borussia Dortmund. Now, of course, other clubs have occasional successes, as Leicester did, as Kev pointed out. But by and large, those European leagues are dominated by a handful of clubs. And do we really want to be in that situation where, for ad infinitum, six clubs win absolutely everything? And and I think one of the beauties of the English Premier League 
<coughs> has been for quite some time that on that day anybody can beat anybody else and then it does happen so that's what makes us such an entertaining league to watch from an international perspective but you know get it out there I mean, you know, on, on, in 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 the in the northeast area, there are lots of other MPs, uh, some of whom are interested in football, some of whom aren't. But they're always interested in something when they hear from quite a lot of constituents. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's brilliantly put, and um, and something that we can all think about, and actually leads us really nicely into our last. I think we've only got time for one more. We're sort of coming up on the hour now. Thank you again to everybody watching, everybody commenting. We are seeing them. If your comment hasn't been up, I'm sorry, it's me in charge. So that's all on me. Um, thank you to Kev and to Ian. But before we um, before we go, um, we let's let's end on this sort of quite positive note, this sort of proactive note. How can fan organisations, members, and fans in general help going forward? So this is. Bodies like the trust, bodies like the FSA, you know, uh, you know, fans generally out there who care about grassroots football, who care about the protection of their communities. Um, Kev, I'll, I'll come to you. You're uh, you're the chair. You're the uh, the chair of the C FSA. Apologies. Not the chief executive, not the chair. I'll get shot by the chair if you stop claiming this position. <laughs> what I meant to say. I do apologise. It's been a long day. You're forgiven. I think you know, in answer to that and the answer to Linda's question, it's not an either or. Um, that sometimes protest is exactly what you need to draw attention to an issue. Sometimes then you have to harness that process and make sure that the decision makers are aware of the strength of feeling and that somebody does something about it. Sometimes you need to protest about the decision makers. And you know, it's a it's a really is a mixture of all of them. The one thing that your know, fans have got, we've got big numbers. They rely on our money in one form or another, whether it's through television subscriptions, pay-per-view, or whether it's the season tickets or, or whatever else. And, the, and your organisation getting organised, as, exactly as NUST has done over the course of the, you know, the last few months, you know, in, in really spectacular style. And everybody can do their own little thing. Whether it, I mean, some people do things and some other people won't. It's not a waste of time writing to a member of parliament. Uh, you know, they don't actually get as many letters as you might think they would. And if you start getting a couple of dozen on one particular subject, clearly different letters from different people, it starts to register that this is an issue. Somebody put on the chat before, can you trust the Tories once the vested interests start lobbying them and, and all this sort of stuff? Well, the, I've never trusted a Tory in my life, and I'm sceptical mm -hmm. about half of the other party. If it wasn't for the fact I know Ian Donkey's years, I wouldn't be sure about him. But, um, <laughs> But the, the point is, even the Tories have got their own vested interest in this. And if there's one thing that concerns a Tory MP more than the uh, you know, the interests of the rich that they represent, it's their own seat. And they've now got all these what used to be red wall seats in the north. And all of a sudden, they're worried about the fate of clubs like Ackley and Stanley and Bury because some of these places have got Tory MPs now. And they think, well, and you know, some of them have got a, a pretty um, strange view of it, but northerners. Oh, they like football, don't they? We'd better do something about football. And it's sort of partly motivated. They're motivated by their own positions and their own power, but it's an issue that won't go away because people have voiced it, and you can do it in all sorts of different ways. I think the, the, the pay-per-view thing has been uh, fascin you know, a fascinating example of that. As, as Ian said, there's been a very positive... Win or lose that particular battle, we won the moral argument just by the fact that we diverted money away from billionaire football club owners into the food banks where it's more needed, to be honest. But it looks like we've won that one. I, I mean, I don't think there's any chance of them coming back with 15 quid pay-per-view um, after this. What happens next is a different question. Is it going to be a cheaper pay-per-view? Is it going to be bundled into your existing package like it was in Project Restart? There is a danger that they just say, well, we won't broadcast the other games, and then you have loads of people not able to see their matches at all. So we have to be vigilant about that. But you absolutely get involved in supporters' organisations. And, you know, it, it doesn't mean that you have to spend an hour every Thursday night watching people like me, because that would sicken anybody. But there's, everybody's got a contribution to make. And even just, I'll bet you, um, I'm a member of NUS, but I've not been involved in their activities, but I'll bet you find that your voice is louder and you're more listened to 
because you can claim that membership, because you've managed to unite people around that particular cause, you, you get taken seriously. You've got to put arguments together. You've got to be as intelligent as them. You've got to prepare your cases and all that sort of stuff. And just as a last little example of that, Ian mentioned before about assets of community value. If you go on the FSA website, there's a page about assets of community value, which tells you through the exact legal procedure of what you have to go through to get your club uh, you get your football ground listed as an asset of community value. Now, we've done that. We're a professional organisation. The FSA only exists because of our members, and our members are the trusts, the, you know, the supporters' organisations, the fanzies, and individual members. And because the, we're a collective, offer a collective voice, we get funded in order to provide a professional service. So I've got staff who are dedicated to researching all these things, to knowing how these things work, to linking clubs together, putting in people in touch with people from their division, from right throughout the pyramid, in the women's game, grassroots football, everything, all united in one organisation. And that's what we're there for. So I'm delighted that, that, that NUST are playing such an active part in our activities. And I guarantee you, I've got a personal vested interest in this from my season ticket in the Gallagher, but you can guarantee that you can that NUS can rely on the support of the FSA as well. Good. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't say it better than that. Ian, did you want yeah. to add something? Well, I mean, you know, there's, there's from the from a Labour movement perspective, because that's that's the polit political persuasion that, that I come from. We've always had a maxim maxim that you agitate, educate, and organise. So agitate amongst the fans educate the fans as to what can be done and organise to get it done. And, you know, protest is fine. It has its place. Kevin's absolutely right. But if you're, if you're in a methodical, organised way, you can also get things done. And you've got to understand where the levers of power are and how you can actually um, uh, uh, exert power on, on, those, on, the, on, on those levers. Uh, and don't give up. Don't give up. Keep on at it. You know, I, I was just saying to some colleagues earlier on, um, it th there was an item came up at a meeting I was chairing the other night, uh, where they put forward a proposal about housing in the private rented sector, and I said when I was up for my second election as a councillor back in 1987, that very issue was what I was campaigning on. 33 years later, I was still haven't. Um, succeeded in getting that measure put into law, but we still haven't given up. So never give up, just keep at it. And I'll tell you what it is, mind. Um, some people might get sick before we do. Too right. We'll, uh, we'll keep chipping away, keep plugging away. Um, if you've watched this and you are not a member of the Trust, please do take those words on board and... Uh, and think of, uh, oh, Geordie Viewer, I've just seen your comment. I do apologise. You know what? Here's one of your comments. Engage mm. with the fans. Mm. Um, I saw that you've uh, you've also written that as a fan base, we are a force to be reckoned with. I think that underpins everything that um, has been said today. It's absolutely, it's absolutely the crux of it. it, it united, we are stronger. Um, the more people that we have, the more voices we have, the louder we are. Um, thank you so much to Ian and to Kev and to Thomas, Linda and Michael as well for joining me this evening, giving up your Thursday nights. I, I couldn't be more grateful. Thank you, everybody, um, for um, for uh, uh, watching this evening. And if you're watching later, thank you for doing that too. Um, we will endeavour to do more of these in the future and we will, of course, um, if there is more news coming out about the fan-led review, we will we will be pushing that and getting involved with that and um, and getting everybody's opinion on that. So, so watch this space. Thank you so much for viewing or listening. Take care. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.